suffering intense persecution. Again, we pray that you would be with them right now. We know that you are. Pray that you would continue to strengthen them, provide for them, protect them. As one of our brothers said, we pray that they would always have the joy of the Lord, no matter what they're going through. And I pray the same for us. I pray that if we walked into this place with distractions or burdens or fears or anxieties or are dealing with spiritual warfare, I pray that we would lay that at your feet and we would have this time where it's just us and you with nothing between us, that your spirit, your spirit may go forth, work in our hearts as we read from your word. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. 2020 has certainly been an interesting year, to say the least. Amen? The coronavirus pandemic shutting down most of the country and a presidential election year would make it an unprecedented year in and of itself. But on top of all of that, we have wildfires destroying the West Coast and an extremely active Atlantic hurricane season on the Gulf Coast and the East Coast. In fact, so far in 2020, there have been 28 tropical uh, depressions, which turned into 27 named storms, 11 hurricanes, and four major hurricanes so far in 2020. To put this in better perspective of the magnitude of the number of these storms for this year, the average of a hurricane season in the Atlantic for about 40 years is about half of what we've experienced so far in 2020. Ten of the 27 named tropical storms made landfall in the continental United States, breaking a record set all the way back in 1916. The National Hurricane Center exhausted its list of 21 storm names based on actual human names and has already started on a list of names based on the Greek alphabet. That's why you're seeing storms in the news in recent days with names like Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, and we just had Zeta this past week, right? The 2020 hurricane season has caused 153 deaths in countries bordering the Atlantic Ocean and has caused about $28 billion in damage. Hurricane Laura, the strongest hurricane to make landfall this year, when it hit Louisiana, caused $14 billion of damage and, caused, and killed 77 people just by itself. Between the West Coast wildfires, the ongoing pandemic, and the 2020 Atlantic hurricane season, do you think God might be trying to tell us something? Could he be trying to get our attention? Jesus will tell a parable today about two different houses with one major difference in how they're built. When a hurricane-type storm hits these houses, one will stand undamaged while the other one will be completely destroyed. It's a very simple parable. We've all heard it. We've all read it. We've all heard it in Sunday school or junior church or, 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 or something else when we were a kid. It's a very simple parable with a very simply yet 
tremendous point. We'll see what Jesus' main, clear, and powerful point is, and what that means in our everyday lives right now and for the rest of our lives. In the greater context of this parable, Jesus has chosen his 12 disciples and a huge crowd that's made up of both a great number of Jesus' followers and those who are just there for Jesus' physical healing. They're all surrounding Jesus. You kind of get an image of that with this picture here. They're all surrounding Jesus. And Jesus has taken this opportunity to give his now famous sermon on the Beatitudes. It was referenced in the video we watched. The one that starts out, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, and so on. Jesus has also given a few different illustrations to teach the difference between a true follower of him and those who only show it on the surface with no repentance. And Jesus saves the best story for last. And that's what we're focusing on today. Jesus starts out this story by asking an introductory rhetorical question. This rhetorical question is meant to direct the crowd's understanding to what Jesus will be getting at with this story. That rhetorical question is this. If you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 46. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to Luke 6, 46, or look it up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. Luke 6, 46, we're going to start with. And Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That's a very good question, isn't it? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't care about what I'm telling you? You don't do anything with what I'm saying to you. This question will set up Jesus' response. See, there were many who were referring to Jesus of Nazareth as Lord as in referring to Jesus as having spiritual authority, but they weren't doing anything about anything that he said. He was preaching repentance and changing their lives for God to save them, and they saw Jesus as a good spiritual teacher, but didn't take it as far as actually repenting and actually living their lives for God. They wouldn't take it to that next step. That's going to fuel Jesus' response to his rhetorical question and the parable that will follow that. His response is this in verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. Everyone there had come to him and had heard his words. But for many of them, that's where it stopped. They heard his words and that's where it stopped. But those who actually did something with the words they heard from Jesus, they were like this in verse 48. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Now this first man dug all the way down into dirt as far as he possibly could go before he hit bedrock. That's what happened here. He then used this bedrock as the actual foundation for his house, the bedrock of the earth as his foundation. One scholar points out that only houses that are still standing today in Palestine, after doing some digging, the only ones that are still standing are the ones that were built on bedrock. 
that used bedrock for their foundation. So apparently this was a practice that was somewhat common in Palestine in Jesus' day and one that would have been immediately understood by Jesus' listeners. In fact, this scholar notes that with some of these houses in Palestine that still exist today, the builder of this house had to dig 20 to 30 feet down into the dirt to reach bedrock. 20 to 30 feet. That is a lot of commitment and a lot of dedication to ensuring that a house is built on bedrock. Remember, they didn't have excavators or backhoes or any of that heavy machinery that's used to do this kind of work today. What did they have? That. They had shovels. And these houses were at least 2,000 to 3,000 square feet in area. So this guy and his hired help would have had to dig 20 to 30 feet down and at least 2,000 to to 3,000 feet across. To give you a better uh, understanding of this undertaking, I did a little eyeball estimate measuring. I don't want to see any of you guys pulling out your portable tape measures and, and calling me out on this. It's an estimate. I know, you, I know some of you have them with you. Don't do it. All right. It's about 20 feet from the sanctuary floor to about halfway up this cross behind me. That's at least how far this guy would have had to dig down from the floor to midway up this cross behind me. If we say that house is more rectangle than square, 2,000 feet in square feet would have been about 25 feet wide and about 80 feet long. So again, this is only an eyeball estimate, but those are about the length and width of the sanctuary. About. It's an estimate. So take a look around and imagine how much digging this guy and his hired help had to do from the floor to the, to, or from midway up the cross to the floor and then the entire square footage of this sanctuary. That is a lot of digging, right? All right. I'm glad you're with me so far. Who wants to be the first to volunteer to start doing that? That would be some work day, wouldn't it? Church work day. I think I'd have to provide a little bit more than pizza for lunch for that. Okay. This would have taken this first guy and his hired help months to accomplish this, even with this average-sized house. But this guy's knowledge and understanding, even back in first century Israel, kept him going. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he wanted to do. I went through all of that to visibly show you how much dedication this guy, that this took on this guy's part to make sure he built his foundation on bedrock. He was going to stop at nothing less. He wouldn't let anything deter him. He wouldn't let anything allow him to take shortcuts. Or he wouldn't allow anything to let him cut corners. He knew exactly what he had to do, and he did it. It certainly was an investment of money and time for this first man to make certain his house was founded on bedrock. But it will be an investment that will pay off big time, as as we see in this verse. We know that the major mantra of real estate agents when talking about a house's value is what? Location, 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 right? 
That's exactly true in this story as well. The implication in this story is that both this first man and the second man, which we'll come to next, that both build their houses near a stream bed. They both choose a picturesque and pragmatic setting for their houses. The view would have been picturesque, while the water source to easily get water from would have been very pragmatically helpful. Both of these men knew, hey, if I can build my house next to this stream bed, I wouldn't have to go all the way down into the town square to to draw water from the well there, to haul water back to my house every day, day after day after day after day for the rest of my life. I can just go out into my backyard, slip on some slippers, put on my bathrobe, go out into the backyard and get some water from the stream. And I could have all the water I possibly could want to do whatever I wanted to with it. There was just one problem with this location. One biblical scholar pointed out that the geographical landscape of Palestine is much like Arizona which doesn't mean all that much to me personally, but may mean more to some of you who have actually been to Arizona. The fact is, both in Palestine and in Arizona, it is very common in and near dry stream beds for flash floods to suddenly come out of nowhere and turn into raging torrential rivers, wiping out everything in its path. Water can be both an asset, as both of these men desired, and a a destructive liability as well. The first man understands that while he's building his house, this stream bed only had a small stream running down the middle of it, much like this picture here. But at some point, he knew, inevitably, a big storm would come. It would come. It was inevitable. And so this first man, with this understanding, prepares his house as best as humanly possible. That's apparently what happens in Jesus' story next. Would it have been a dry stream bed or one with a small stream in it, save for a small trickle of water, where the first storm of the season suddenly becomes a raging torrential river sweeping down the stream bed, bursting over the banks, and slamming into that newly built house. That torrential flood gave that house everything it had. But in this story, that house still stood. In fact, when Jesus tells the story, it says it didn't even shake at all. It was unshakable. That's huge. There wasn't even a hint that this house was going to be swept away. This guy just kicked back in his lazy boy, sipped on a Coke, and watched the storm out the window with no fear whatsoever. That was the confidence he had in the foundation of bedrock he built his house upon. Keep all that in mind. Now we come to the second guy in Jesus' story, verse 48. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. Those who hear Jesus' words but don't do anything with them are like the second guy. His story begins exactly the same as the first guy's. He, too, bought prime riverside property and had big dreams. He saw the same trickle in the stream bed as the first guy did, but he never took it into account that that wasn't always the way it was always going to be. He didn't anticipate 
an impending storm. Whereas the first guy knew that it was inevitable. He just thought that the pleasant worldly position and circumstances he was in were never going to change. And that they would always remain the same. After all, wasn't it a sign of his overwhelming and boastful success that he was even able to buy prime riverside property? As such, this guy took that belief that he was somehow immune from a storm and made it his building philosophy. I don't need to care about that at all. In fact, he didn't dig into the earth at all, much less bother to build any sort of foundation whatsoever. Now we look at that guy and say, what an idiot. Even I, with as, about as much home improvement knowledge as Google and YouTube can provide, know that you must build a house with a foundation. I know that. The same storm that sends forth a raging, destructive river down the same stream bed as the first guy that he dealt with, it does the same exact thing to the second guy's house. As an obvious result, the second guy's house is obliterated and completely swept down the river in shattered pieces. And we can assume the second guy was destroyed right along with his house. Again, Jesus flat out gives the interpretation of this right within the story itself. The first guy represents those who listen to Jesus' words and make them the foundation of their lives. They know that the storms of life are inevitable. That's just what life is in this broken world. And God uses these storms in our lives to grow us and make us stronger. They're going to come. They're going to happen. These are marks of true disciples of Jesus, both listening to and living out the words of Jesus. The second guy represents those who have heard Jesus' words over the course of their lives, but they don't do anything with them. You may know different people like this. They label themselves Christians. They go to church twice a year. They may even give some money to the church. They've cracked their Bibles open a couple times in their lives, and they attest to some kind of belief in a higher power, and that's where it ends. They give no thought to what the Bible says about anything, much less believe it, and much less use it to make a change in their lives. When the storms of life inevitably come, no matter how safe they feel in this world, they have no foundation. With no foundation, they're swept to and fro, clinging to anything that sounds nice, no matter how empty or even destructive that something is. You might be sitting here or watching online later, and you might think, that's me. He's describing me right now. I've spent too much of my life investing in this world, and none of it investing in following God. I have no foundation when it comes to facing the storms of this life. You may be especially fearful during this pandemic and the election and a time of wild natural disasters that we opened up our time with, and you don't know where to turn. Everyone seems like they have a different message. Just believe in something, or life is meaningless, so YOLO, 
or borrow from New Age beliefs or focus on money, booze, sex, or anything else to take your mind off of everything that's going on right now. You're swept back and forth on what to think about everything and you just come to this conclusion, I'm just going to try not to think about it. Because that's all, that's all I can do, is just try not to think about anything that's going on right now. God wants you to know that he is stretching out a gift to you of a life where you can have a foundation. You can have courage and boldness in the midst of fear. You can have the hope of a life in heaven when this earthly life is over. You can have never-ending peace and freedom from darkness and depression and anxiety and addiction or destructive life forces. It starts with knowing that you have no foundation. That's where it starts. It starts with knowing that you can no longer go on living life believing the anti-biblical lie that you can do enough good things to outweigh the bad you've done. It just doesn't work that way. It starts with knowing that having Jesus as the foundation of your life is the only true and lasting foundation you can have. In order to have that foundation of Jesus, you have to take care of the sin problem that separates you from God. That sin problem only binds us for hell, which we all deserve. The Bible says the only way to take care of that sin problem is to recognize that Jesus paid your sin debt of death on the cross for your behalf. Based on that recognition, when you ask God to forgive you of your sin and you repent of it and you commit the rest of your life to please Him, you immediately become a part of God's family. And you immediately are given a foundation under your feet. That's what immediately happens when you come to that place. You're immediately given a foundation under your feet. You immediately are given all the promises of God found in His Word. Promises of God's protection and God's provision and the showering of His love and eternity spent with Him after you die. And you immediately are given the Holy Spirit to make a home within you to remind you of these promises and empower you to live the life God wants you to have and live. For those who have already made this decision, Remember that the storms of life are inevitable. They're going to come. Believers in Jesus are not somehow immune to them. Any more than the first man in the parable today was immune to the same storm that swept the second guy away. They still dealt with it. But we have a sure, immovable, unshakable, and all-powerful foundation. We have Jesus is our foundation. And Jesus, as the Bible describes, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will always give us the courage we need in the face of danger and fear. He will always provide for our needs in the face of lack. He will always provide the wisdom we need in a difficult dilemma. He will always provide the comfort we need in the midst of heartbreaking loss. He will always provide the peace we need when everything in this world is up in the air. 
We have Jesus. And right along with that, as Jesus flat out says in our passage this morning, we have Jesus' words. You can't have Jesus without Jesus' words. I'm sorry. Hate to break it to you. You can't have Jesus without Jesus' words. And what does the Apostle John describe Jesus as the embodiment of? The Word. The entire Word of God. So to have Jesus automatically means you have the entire Word of God and everything that's in it, including all the commands that are in it for our lives. We can't have Jesus and only want Jesus and not want to listen to nor apply to our lives Jesus' words or the instruction found in God's word. You can't have it both ways. Jesus says that outright in our parable today. God's word, as Jesus is the full embodiment of it, is, our, is also our foundation for life. How can we be unshakable when we don't read it? How can we remain steadfast in our walk with God if we don't know what's in it? We need to both know God's word as Jesus' words and live it out as Jesus' words. The whole point of these is what these parables are about today. Just like we can't pick and choose the kind of Jesus we want... We can't pick and choose which commands and instructions in God's word we want to follow. We have to seek to have our lives molded into the reflection of all of it. We have to make what changes we have the power to make in accordance with God's word and ask the Holy Spirit to change our lives in the ways we are powerless to do. You can't say you love Jesus and then refuse to listen to his word. You can't say you love Jesus and then refuse to listen to his word. Jesus says that in our parables today. You can't say you love Jesus and then not care about reading his word or forming any sort of solid biblical theological foundation as you brace for the storms of this life. If you think you can just love Jesus and not invest in his word, you got a rude awakening coming. If you just say you love Jesus and you don't invest in his word, you have no foundation. And you're going to be swept to and fro with every inevitable storm of life. We as children of God, bought with the blood of Jesus, have, not should, not maybe, have to invest in his word. We must. We can't afford not to because it's our foundation. Again, that's why I went through all that information uh, in, in regards to how much that first guy dug, how much he invested into building his house. He dug, and he dug deep, and he dug wide, didn't he? In the same exact way, we have to dig and dig deep and dig wide into God's word for our foundation. You can't have a passing knowledge of a few Bible stories and think that's good enough to weather every flooding, bursting, raging storm of life. We all have to dig deep 
and wide into God's Word every day with faithful dedication to have the foundation to stand steadfast and immovably braced against the storms of life. A positive side effect of this investment into God's Word is that you'll find that all of these seeming and so-called contradictions in the Bible that what people love to talk about or where critics claim that the Bible condones slavery or mistreatment of women or doesn't clearly teach against same-sex relationships or any other gender identity other than God's simple biological creation of a male or a female or having a sexual relationship with anyone you're not married to or killing a human life after the moment of conception or mistreatment of anyone regardless of what you're basing it on are clearly and overwhelmingly false and lies straight from Satan's whispering mouth. And when you dig deep into God's word, your foundation based on Jesus will get stronger and stronger, shored up more and more. Your knowledge of who God is will expand astronomically. Your confidence in his faithfulness and love towards you will multiply tremendously. Your desire to fall into the same old sins will wane dramatically. The chains of addiction or past trauma that have haunted you for years will start disintegrating. The soundness of your mind in seeing and thinking about what you face in this world through God's eyes will increase exponentially. The peace you can experience in the midst of discouragement, heartbreak, and dark circumstances will amplify greatly. There's nothing to lose in investing in digging into God's word daily, in strengthening your foundation, and there's everything to gain. Here are the steps into digging into God's Word. If you make note of nothing else today, or you write down nothing else today, take note of this. The first step is by committing to actually reading the Bible every day. Actually reading the Bible every day. There is life and power derived from simply reading God's Word. If you're new to it, Start reading through the Psalms or the New Testament books of Mark or Philippians. The life and power that comes from simply reading God's word on a daily basis will start making small changes here and there in your life. You'll feel closer to God. You'll feel more of his love. You'll be more confident in his faithfulness, in his protection, in his provision towards you. You'll want to get more and more things that are based on sin in your life right with God. If you include your family on this daily reading, guess what? You'll start seeing little changes here and there in your family. And how it functions. And how you relate to one another. You may even see some salvations take place. Just from simply reading the Word of God daily as a family. 
The next step, step number two, is to study God's Word. First step is actually read God's Word on a daily basis. The second step is to study God's Word. That's this digging deep investment I keep talking about. Pastor John MacArthur has a great series that we're going through in men's Bible study. And it's not just a men's Bible study study. It's called the MacArthur Bible Study Series. And there's a book on every book in the Bible. And they're pretty inexpensive. Seven bucks, seven bucks on ChristianBook.com or the Kindle version on Amazon. I would suggest starting with Matthew in that Bible study series. You read, you read God's words side by side with a good Bible study book. So if you read God's words side by side with a good study book, Bible study book like this, you will be able to understand what you're reading much better than a cursory reading, and therefore you'll be able to apply it to your life and strengthen your foundation in a much better way. The third step is, if your schedule allows for this, join the ladies on Thursday mornings or join the men on Monday evenings as we go through additional studies in a supportive group setting and discuss different things you might not have thought of in an individual study. On top of that, continue to come to church and join with your spiritual brothers and sisters as we, in one big family, worship our Lord together and learn from God's Word. These are the steps to digging deep and investing in a strong foundation. But this strengthening of our foundation in Jesus must start somewhere or you will always be doomed to be tossed to and fro in anxiety and fear for the rest of your life. If you haven't committed your life to Jesus by asking God to forgive you of your sin based on what Jesus did for you on the cross, and then rising again three days later, do so right now. Don't waste any more time. You, don't, you can't afford to waste any more time. You can see as you look around this country and you look around the world, the enemy knows his days are short. So he's coming after you. You don't have any more time to waste before you make this decision for Jesus. If you've already made this decision, if you've already done that, recognize what kind of powerful and steadfast foundation you have in Jesus. And cling to that during every season of this life, knowing you know you'll be with him when you die. doesn't matter what season you go through in this life, even when it's all over. All that is, is a doorway to going to be with Jesus. And hand in hand with that faith, strengthen your confidence in God's faithfulness by investing and in digging deep into God's word. Learning everything you can about him, his plan, what he expects, and growing closer to him in love and faith at the same time. So let us all be in a state of growing and changing to be more like Jesus. This might be news to some of you. Not one of us has stopped growing or changing. If you're still breathing, you're still growing or changing. Invest in that steadfast foundation. And when the inevitable storms of this life crash upon us, we too will stand on immovable, unshakable, and fully confident in the strength 
power and peace of our mighty God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these very simple yet very profound parables. Same story, but just with two different endings. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who knows, they look at their life and they're honest with themselves and they say, I don't have that foundation. I don't have any foundation. When these storms come, I just look for something nice to cling to and, and hope that'll be good enough. Lord, I pray that they will be shaken. But rather than be swept away, I pray that they would cling to the rock, the rock of Jesus Christ, that they would repent of their sins right now and commit the rest of their lives to you and know that they will have a foundation for the rest of their lives. And Lord God, if there's anybody here who has lost sight of their foundation, they had a foundation at one point, but they've jumped off and gone somewhere else. I pray that you bring them back to that foundation. I pray that they would see the strength and power of who you are, of who you are as their foundation, and that all of us would invest in that foundation by digging deep into God's word every day, making that who we are, that your Holy Spirit would mold our lives into a, a reflection of it as it is a reflection of who you are. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name.